0: Awesome. Well, super excited to have John Ivanko here with us. John is the co-founder of Toro, which is a software company um, that basically leverages zero-party data to help brands, marketers, advertisers, get a better understanding of their customers and what they're doing. And uh, at the end of the day, improving uh, profitability and growth. Um, and so I will basically hand the floor over to John here and allow him to give a better
1: introduction than I did. And, uh, and then we'll jump into it. Now you did, you did great. Um, so my name's John Ivanko, uh, like Brian said, co-founder of Form Toro. Our, our goal is to take zero party data and allow advertisers to leverage kind of uh, intent data in making their decisions, uh, in order to grow e-com businesses specifically. Um, and this came from a long history of working in e-com companies and, and understanding uh, the trials and tribulations that people go through uh, from media buying to creative and all the way through that customer life cycle. Uh, So just glad to be here and excited to chat it up for a bit.
0: Awesome. Yeah. Well, super excited to have you and we've, we've chatted before a few times and uh, always great conversations and it's really refreshing to, to listen to how you think about um, marketing and advertising. And obviously, we're in an interesting time right now too, with everything that's been going on with iOS, and, and we've talked briefly about what the future looks like, or at least what what we can kind of guess it looks like. And um, and I think that you're really really well positioned as well with with what you're doing. Um, but basically, why don't you uh, why don't you kind of jump
1: into what what kind of led to you starting Pro? Yeah, a labor of love. It happened uh, actually probably about like eight years ago where we were looking at customer journeys in, in SaaS buying and realized that uh, signups for SaaS buying were getting very, very bloated and that people would sign up and there was always questions about friction around signups. You know, how much information should you ask for? How much can you ask for? You know, let's get them on a call, qualifying demo, etc. And, uh, it hasn't been until like the last year that we've seen SaaS switch to more of like a Calendly approach where they just you just click on a Calendly link and then you answer a couple of questions and you're good to go. Um, and then I moved from SaaS to e-commerce and I realized that e-commerce is way harder because B 2 c or direct-to-consumer in the B 2 c world, you didn't have information about like a company that someone was coming from or what they did and everything else. Um, so after working for a couple different companies that had an e-commerce presence, uh, launching products and doing a go-to-market, we realized that the largest gap that we had was we were spending a lot of money on advertising. We were driving people to a landing page. We were getting them to sign up. And then we were chasing them with a survey in their email to collect more data and understand why they signed up. And uh, the biggest gap that we realized is that there was massive fall-off after you get someone to sign up. And even if you're giving them a great deal or discount, emails a channel to fill out a survey, there was always going to be drop-off. So if you sent out that email, you might get 50% open and then you might get, you know, 30% click through for an awesome deal that people were stoked on. And then you might get a 70% completion rate on that. So you were just losing, losing, losing all the way through. And uh, that kind of sparked the idea of why is that the case? And we fix this. And is there a way to better collect data where if someone fell off, it wouldn't impact our ability to collect data? And up to that point, and you know, from traditional forms and surveys, uh, there was no live data collection. You had to click submit at the end of every single step in order for that data to be captured. So we got to working on what it would look like if you, you didn't have to click submit. Like, would it be possible to every step just capture data and then? Get rid of that huge hurdle that marketers have been dealing with for years and years and years and we were able to crack that which was really cool and fun and then we were able to see that instead of giving seven percent of people to respond through that first chain we were getting 95 percent of people to just provide us data which is a huge like complete game-changing swap um, so we've been quietly working on that for a couple of years now uh, and trying to figure out what positioning looks like for uh, different marketplaces and and helping out kind of like marketing staff that always say, yeah, we, of course, we know why people buy, but do you really like most of the time? Not quite for sure. Yeah.
0: And and I think that that's something that it obviously is a huge problem that um that big drop off in post-purchase surveys. And I know speaking as someone who gets a lot of them, you know, whether it's Amazon or specific brands, I I never filled them out
1: and you've already uh, purchased you're, you're already done purchased. it's yeah. not a it's not a point of intent and i was just writing about this uh, the other day there's there's pre-intent and those are your quizzes quizzes are great but they're pre-intent they're when people are like learning about something there's post intent which is if your post purchase surveys your surveys that you're sending out via email after someone signed up they they don't actually capture <laughs> the intent necessary for you to make decisions on And I know I'm going to get some some nice messages from some people on this, but everyone's trying to tie, you know, um, post-purchase surveys and intent-based things and NPS scores and all these other things into building strategies around. And they're just not points of intent on the customer journey. Much the same way that quizzes ask a bunch of questions and they're there to help you. But mostly that's during the discovery phase of trying to figure out which product's right for you and then you're going to take that information and leave and go other places and compare other places. So it's not actually a point of intent of making a purchase, but we're kind of brainwashed into thinking, oh yeah, if they answer a bunch of questions about what they're looking for and we give them a bunch of options, they're definitely gonna purchase. But that's way too early in the thing. And I've seen some of these quizzes, which is great when they give suggestions. And if you type in the right things, all your suggestions are gonna show up and there's gonna be like 10 to 15 different suggestions of their entire collection. And it's like, okay, this and stuck at square one all over again.
0: Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And I know like, obviously as you know, we, we run a lot of ads too and and we rely heavily when we onboard a new brand, we rely heavily on the brand to give us a lot, a clear picture of who, who their customers are, what, what they're doing, why they're buying. Um, and obviously, you know, we, we got to take that on ourselves and, and do our research. But um, one thing that we've noticed is a lot of a lot of brands, a lot of businesses, really don't have a clear picture at all. A lot of brands don't even have any sort of per- post-purchase survey flow set up, which, as you know, you just touched on, you're you're missing a massive, massive chunk of the data if you're only relying on that. But um, at the end of the day, a lot of a lot of advertising, a lot of uh, creatives, a lot of messaging offers are built around uh, theory and you know more of a guess into what. What and why people are are buying, and it's it's not really based on any really sort of truth aside from running tests and looking to see what's performing best. But it's really hard to understand why that's necessarily performing. And so uh, it's definitely definitely a uh, a strategy, and definitely you know I think being able to capture that data, um, just just the increase in volume alone is is good,
1: but also like you said, tying that to the intent. That's the big difference, right? You have a lot of, and I've read all the zero-party data guides, and you probably have too as well, and they all follow the same thing. You should put this on your website. You should ask people these que- for questions, collect that data, send it into your ESP, and then you should work on customizing your SMS and your uh, emails and maybe a little bit of retargeting around that data, right? That's like, that's the, what everyone's saying. What people don't realize with zero party data and this didn't hit me honestly until like a week ago is that all of those things require a staff and resources that know what that data means and how to build creative around it. That is time intensive and takes a ton of work and, and cost. Yeah. It's, 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 It's a massive cost. And I've heard this from people straight up that have tried going down this route. It wasn't worth the amount of time being spent in order to customize all other things. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're not gonna say that personalization, personalization doesn't work, but if you think about the amount of time it takes to carefully craft an email to a segment and that doesn't pan out for you because you don't know if those data points lead to anything or are more likely to lead to profit, you're just creating content for the sake of creating content. And a lot of brands don't actually factor in the amount of creative time, energy, and hours it takes to create a campaign. That's not factored into the pricing. And this is where we get into a lot of trouble where everyone's jumping on the zero-party data personalization kick, but 90% of the things that we do, whether it's an email or an SMS, it doesn't matter. It's all related to the timing of the purchaser. So when everyone's chasing zero-party data, and it's not related to intent it puts us in this inter- interesting situation where we can't really use it for too many other things
0: for sure and i think we can go a little deeper on that and, and kind of touch on how form toro is, is different and elaborate on that and, and really dive deeper into intent because what you guys do is you from from my understanding is you're you're trying to understand where people are in the buying cycle um how often they buy and tailoring marketing
1: campaigns, emails, SMS, whatever it might be around that. I mean, that's a, that's a benefit. I I would say do your emails and SMS and all your stuff absolutely dead last. Uh, The reason being is there's two points of intent in a customer journey on an e-com site, and they require you to actually do something, aka type something in. It's signing up for a discount, which is like a standard contract bargain, right? I'm willing to trade this in order to get this. And then there's, I'm willing to trade my information or to check out and purchase something because you're going to deliver something for me, right? There are only two parts of intent in a journey. Add to cart, don't care. I add stuff to carts all the time. Sometimes we go through checkout and see what the shipping costs are before I decide abort, right? There's a whole bunch of things. There's a whole bunch of reasons people like abandon carts, but most of the time, if you're shopping across or it's marketplace you're putting stuff in the to, to see how much it's going to cost see what you actually really need and then you're going elsewhere to do comparison shopping or research right so i always stick to the two places where you actually have to type something in and that's putting in an email or a phone number or whatever for a discount and literally checking out there are no other places on ecom site where you have to type something in and if it's not one of those two things it's not really a true point of intent mm-hmm. So yeah. on the like SMS email side of things, absolutely dead last. You can get a lot of stuff out of understanding the data being collected during those points of intent and leveraging those data points across basically your entire marketing stack because if you know when someone is more or like, more or less likely to take an action for a desired result and that desired result happens to be collecting a coupon, which is usually to use that coupon, you don't usually sign up for another reason, that's your highest level of quality data that you have on eCom site. I agree, I agree. Um,
0: so obviously right now, over the past few months, iOS has been, you know, a talk of the town. Um, everyone's battling it. Um, I, I'd love to to touch on your thoughts around iOS fourteen, how this has changed the overall landscape for marketers um, when it comes to you know attribution. We'll we'll touch on attribution a little later too, and maybe how you look at structuring campaigns. But I'd love to hear your thoughts around uh, around how how uh, zero party data and, and
1: iOS fourteen are, are correlated. So Apple's the catalyst, GDPR, CCPA, CCPRA, whatever the new one they're changing it to, Colorado's law, I guess Virginia has a lot too now about data privacy, right? Like everyone's been moving in this direction for a while. And the fact that most marketers didn't catch on to it or didn't think what's going to happen later, it's kind of your own fault. Um, i do think that ios 14 and 14.5 when it really came out was an eye-opening experience for a lot of people that have been basing their trust on platforms and the ability to use that data in order to make uh decisions buying decisions um i think we're headed towards a a huge split and that split is going to be people that understand the customer journey and find zero-party data as being something that you can leverage into it to better make decisions, media buying decisions, content creation decisions, et cetera. And the people that are uh, using uh, the same old tricks that, they're, that they've been taught and, and spending a lot of time on figuring out you know, how everything fits together. The one switch we are seeing now is we're seeing a lot of uh, people that have historically just performed one function all of a sudden have to open up and use other functions. So ads work with email now. It's not ads versus email. Uh, it's not ads versus email versus website. It's landing page plus sign up form plus ad. You know, well, should I say ad landing page? You know, sign up form and then email. Like they all actually have to work together now. So I think the iOS change, and you can see this on things like LinkedIn, where. You had agencies that really specialize in one thing and now all of a sudden they're they're combining forces with other agencies or they're hiring like mad in order to fill out the rest of that funnel because they realize that you don't get results just from doing one thing anymore. It's really, really hard to measure. Um, instead, it, it requires the entire journey and kind of owning the entire journey. For sure. And I
0: don't think that that's necessarily something that's new. I think the lack of attribution reporting is really exposing and, and really shining a light on how much everything needs to work together. And you're right, I think a lot of agencies that were just strictly media buying agencies or, or even you know, freelancers, like when you lose the ability to
1: show what you're doing, it gets, it, it's a scary place. I mean, the whole world of, of running ads has always been a, a bit of a transparency nightmare because not everything sure. goes well and I mean everyone is very quick to kill off stuff that doesn't work out etc and we don't know if it was an email that we sent out to someone that actually drove that sailor that was just a reminder at the right time for someone we have uh, we've fallen victim to something that I think happens a little too often especially in like the e comm space where we put all of our trust into the stats and figures that tools within the industry promote as being benchmarks and standards. And then we try to live up to those benchmarks and standards instead of taking a step back and saying, does that apply to my business? Am I missing something else out? I mean, should email be 30% of your business? If your website sucks, no, right? Like there's other factors that played into that person signing up. If you're running a giveaway on a regular basis and people are just signing up for freebies, and they have no intention of purchasing, your list is not gonna generate 30% of your revenue. It's, It's pretty simple. But we still see people promoting, oh, run a giveaway, it's a great way to like boost your list and then you can retarget them later. But now iOS 14, you can't really retarget people. So is that a strategy that works? We don't, we're not really talking about this stuff, which is kind of unfortunate because these are the things that we should be talking about. We should be talking about what strategies we were promoting pre-iOS 14 and how even after iOS 15, like the whole inability to see if something's open been opened or marketing is open. And then just resending that email, if they didn't open it, like we have a lot of tricks and tips that we used to throw around willy nilly that just don't apply anymore, which makes you wonder, should they ever have been used in the first place? Like were they ever going to be sustainable? hundred percent. And, and
0: yeah, I mean, that's a great point. Like, was it, was it, was it even help it in the first place or was it hurting your relationship you have with customers, the perception that people have on your brand, you know, like that, what you just said, sending an email, someone, the exact same email, someone doesn't open it, like, and, and a lot of things like that. And there's a lot of things on the app, like traffic side as well that these I mean, you, you get all the people that are selling courses and, and, you know, even just pushing their own services and, and positioning themselves as having some sort of insider information, but at the end of the day, I think the foundational stuff of understanding like the marketing one-on-one of like knowing who your customer is and putting messaging and positioning your, your brand to solve problems and, and improve the life for your customers. Like that, that's stuff that I just don't think, I think now it's, again, I think, you know, you're very well positioned in that sense because you, we're, we're going in a direction where you need to, you need to know your customer, you need to have a, a, you need to provide a good experience and you need to, you need to build a community.
1: Yeah, I mean, from a, from a media buying perspective, the stats that we've been following don't hold weight. Cause we've just talked about like the points of intention in a journey, right? It's getting the click, getting the subscription with the data to understand why they're in the first place in their buying cycle. And then it's understanding the subscription rate to conversion, number of people that subscribe that convert. Because in an ideal world, you have the best ad in the world, you drop them on a landing page, you have an irresistible offer, it meets exactly what their goals are, you're a new brand to them, they sign up, they get their coupon code, they check out, life is happy. You can track that end to end and you can go find more people like them because they are your stars. And if you're introduced to a new brand, That is absolutely the way you want to go. I don't care how high-end the brand is and how much money they spend on marketing. If I'm buying a product for the first time from a brand online, I want a discount. I want you to de-risk this a little bit. I want to feel like I'm 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 treasured. that's, That's just the buying path that I want to take. Because if I don't get a discount, I'm going to get to check out and I'm going to see a coupon code thing and I'm going to say, I'm going to go leave and go find one. Right, Like that's just my buying journey and that's pretty much everyone's buying journey. Yet we, we fake it like that isn't real and that's not the way people operate. So. And a lot of
0: people, but a lot of people too are in the the mindset of you shouldn't offer discounts at all. Right. And I, I completely disagree. I, I do see the side of, well, in, in a way, I mean, a lot of people say, well, you don't see Apple running discounts, you don't, but we need to understand that you're not Apple.
1: You're this, not Nike everyone loves bringing up these big brands as being people that don't run discounts and then when you look at amazon and all the goods they sell you're talking about slim slim margins in that scale so you have two different sides of the coin where you have an amazon that everyone likes using as an opportunity for like customer experience and, and making everything great and one-touch signups and two two-day shipping and they change the game They could because they can do it at scale and they own the supply chain, yay, that's a a great way to go and they make all their money off the supply chain and cloud hosting so they can offset the cost of some of those stuff that they don't make money on. Apple took a long time to get to the point where they were even able to compete with PCs, and it's been a great story to watch and become the gold standard of design and usability and they decided to focus on that which is great, Nike to your point. Nike commands high prices because a lot of their stuff now is based on limited edition runs, and they have a whole app dedicated to it. But the funny thing is, is people are like, did you know about Nike in, like, 1978? Like, if you ask anyone that's older, the odds are it's if they weren't a runner. They hadn't heard of them because originally they were selling, you know, Onatsuku Tigers, right? Like, Asics. Like this is the crazy part about all these brands. We we look up to these brands and we say, oh, they've done such a great job and they've done such a great job with branding, but it took them a while or a breakthrough to get there. I'm not saying that brands can't do it today in a shorter time period if they really have a a good backing and a contagious viral product, but that is like for every brand that you know of as a as like a household name today, there's probably thousands that are doing the exact same thing with the exact same product that you've never heard of. And we do not give enough credit to the amount of competition that currently exists in the market right now.
0: Yeah. hundred percent. hundred percent. And you can, I mean, you don't really have to look too far to, to see the, the signals of the competition, right? Just rising costs of ads. Um, right. And, and I, I think iOS rolled out at a time where, things that have never been more competitive. There's never been lower barrier to entry in e-commerce and it's uh,
1: people are getting slammed right now. People are getting absolutely slammed on, on Some, the Facebook site. Someone said something really interesting. That I read an article and they were talking about this whole shipping debacle. And they said, we don't have a shipping debacle. We have uh, consumers in America that buy too much worthless crap. And I it hit me hard because all of these companies and all the companies that that, that you probably talked to and I talk to on a regular basis, they all think they have the best products in sliced bread and they all say they, they don't have any competitors because they're the absolute best or their competitors are a list of like five people. And when I look at companies like that, I'm like, your competitor list is way bigger than that in different categories that you're not even considering. And is there enough market share and do enough people need your widget in order to sustain this as a business? It's getting harder. It's literally, is legit getting harder in order to say, yes, there are millions of people that want your product. And yes, we can get in front of them at a reasonable price. Uh, like you said, ad costs are going through the roof and I always come back to the person that knows the most about their customers is going to be the person that can partner up with other people the quickest and at least try to maintain costs for a while. And there are far too many brands out there that do not go the partnership route and should be on a regular basis.
0: I agree. I agree. I also think that there's not enough businesses that are focusing almost entirely, if not entirely online, that have enough margin to acquire customers profitably at scale. I think that's another big one. Like I think it's brands that know the most, but also like it's going to keep getting more and more expensive to get customers into your business. And unless you have massive cash reserves to play the long game, then you need, you need to to be able to have enough to acquire those customers. You need to be able to, a lot of
1: brands need to be profitable on day one. Here's the funny thing. Like I, I think everyone goes into e comm specifically with grand aspirations and they don't really, really realize the entirety of the costs that are associated. I also think that people think, oh, if I buy all this stock up front, all I got to do is market it and sell it and, and I'll be cool. And there's a difference in building a brand that, that people are missing. And I've always thought about this since it was funny because a lot of the people I consult have raised funding. And when you look at how they raise funding and how they're applying that funding, it all goes to hiring people and to um, basically buying more products. Those are usually two things they use on funding. For a lot of companies that are starting out and re- or releasing a new product into the market, it should be the exact opposite. You take some of that money and you offset the cost of that good and you push it out and then you refine it and then you figure out how you can show a bunch of social proof, go back to your manufacturer, say, Hey, look, we've already missed thousands and thousands of units. doesn't matter if you subsidize them. Will you give us a better deal of better terms on our next run? Okay, cool. Now you have all this social proof. You have all these reviews. People are loving your product. You don't have to offer that discount anymore. You can start moving up market with your pricing uh, around that same exact product, but and you get better, better pricing better margins you need to seed it you really need to seed it and i mean we've looked at this with a lot of small brands and uh run the numbers and the cost of acquisition is you know five six times the actual cost of the goods in some cases that's that's not profitable you're still making money don't get me wrong but that's not a smart way to go to market there's there's this whole gap for a lot of Econ brands where we got locked into the early days of Facebook where everything was cheap and you can make money. And now we're heading into this new realm, which is, do you have to do advertising? Yeah, absolutely. Should you have someone full-time that's working on partnerships and other means of doing distribution with half of that advertising budget? 100%. Yep. Yeah.
0: Yep. Yeah. And, and I mean, I, what's, what are your thoughts on, on influencers and going the influencer route. And I don't know if that's something that you guys have done with your
1: experience with e-commerce brands. We did, we went in the big influencer route in the beginning where we were working with celebrity celebrities back in the day. And this was like circa 2015, 2016. Um, and it worked as a depreciating asset. And then today, Like, everyone switched to micromanagers like three years ago, and everyone's like, oh, yeah, it's totally the way to go. Uh, I I do think they work in certain subset niches. I think they're like a great way to go. Uh, I prefer to see people just advocate their own existing customers. I think we ignore our customers a lot. But if you could get 20 of your customers to just answer some questions on video via like a Zoom, and then cut it together with their permission, it's gonna be way better than an influencer talking about, I just got sent these and they're awesome. <laughs> and I just went on this amazing trip. Like, uh, the running joke of, of this was back in the day, when you go to Amazon, you don't look at just five-star reviews. You look at five-star, you look at three-star, you look at one-star and you try to figure out what people hated about the product, what they liked about it, et cetera, because you don't trust something with all great reviews, right? Um, the problem is there's too many reviews and they get overwhelming. What people really wanna know is, what'd you like about it? What didn't work out so well about it? What would you recommend it? That's literally it. And I'm waiting, I've been waiting for years for someone just to release a, an easy app where you can scan the, the barcode and Amazon has an API for this, so if you're listening, build it. Just scan the, the, the barcode, it looks up the product and then it pops up in your phone to a video where you get two shots to record and it prompts you on screen while you're recording yourself what you liked about it, what you didn't like about it, and would you recommend it? That's it. That's all someone needs to see. You could chop it up into like 30 second bits and you'd have so much social proof and people would like relate to it because if you only had two takes, you know it's genuine and it's an actual person. Because we have a bot problem in reviews and everything else. So, Influencers, spectacular. We have a larger problem though. The larger problem is brands cherry picking reviews and you know, pushing stuff on a regular basis. And if you can empower your existing customers to give you honest feedback at a scale that's bigger than I think the 1% that people get on reviews or at least it was for us and Amazon back in the day for every sale maybe 1% of people would leave a review. right? Like, that's the trigger. And I know everyone's trying to optimize for, you know, getting more reviews and bribing people for reviews and sending gifts out for reviews and stuff like that. It's not the action of needing to bribe for reviews, it's the action that there's too much friction in leaving a review. You were just talking about getting surveys and post-purchase stuff and you're like, I've already bought it, what do I care about, right? Even if there's an incentive, it's still you've got to sit there and type it in because that's the way we do things it's completely backwards. And even if you do like leave a video review, it's freeform. Should not be freeform, should be prompted. It's much easier to answer a question. Even in our conversation, you ask me a question, it's easy. I ask you a question, it's easy to answer, right? Yeah. We continually with customers assume that they're gonna have this, this mystical thing to say that's gonna unlock the reason behind why they bought that product. Asking way too much.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's a great answer. And I think going back to the influencer, for the way I see, my, especially micro influencers, like I, I think if you're going the celebrity route, brands that we've worked with have gone and got NFL players that are now stars. We're up and comers, but now stars, and um, and it hasn't gone overly well in, in my experience. And I think part of the reasons that is because. It's now, I mean, there's more and more, the access to these, these kind of micro celebrities, um, you know, not your Tom Brady's of the NFL
1: world, but maybe, you know, or or whatever industry it's in. Well, NCAA, Um, right? They just opened that up. People are signing up NCAA athletes left and right.
0: Right. And so, and so unless i I think that a lot of brands do well snow teeth whitening is one that does it extremely well and i don't know the exact structure that they follow but they their celebrity endorsements are um incentivized to push the product and the more product that comes from the celebrity Mm -hmm. the more that
1: they make from it right so the the hidden secret to that is it's been the same game since like 2015 2016 it was just an easy cash grab for people to charge whatever for a post. But behind the scenes, there was those negotiations where everyone would have preferred a kickback uh, instead because it was more aligned. I won't drop names, but like, I can tell you, like top of top of Instagram back then was all in. If you talk to the right people to do, to do deals based on like affiliate kind of give me a give me a kickback because all that group if you think about this way and there has been a change and I think this is a bigger trend that I want your take on actually is that we've seen celebrities and and people with large followings all of a sudden become more entrepreneurial and owning the stuff they put out and having a stake in it. Mr. Beast Burger is a great example of this where like, you know, he drive stuff that way. Um, there's a lot of companies that are celebrity run where they're able to use their platform and their access to different people in order to get favors to grow the business. Like, are we headed into the future where influencers don't be influencers anymore where they start picking opportunities where they get a stake where you're willing to offer up a stake because they have a platform to leverage you because you were just talking about community and audience. And I think the hardest part we have isn't creating content, it's distribution of that content.
0: Yep. Yeah, I I think so. I do think so. And I I think the impact of a shout out is decreasing. And I think the influencers, the whole point of influencers is because they have an influence over a group of people. They have an influence over a following. And if, if someone that I look up to is, is using a product and you know that they're actually using it and they promote the product, then subconsciously, it probably will have an effect, I think. I think a lot of what goes on is is subconscious and, and no one's going out and saying, Oh, I'm gonna buy this because they brought it, but it's top of mind, right? It's it's and and it kind of goes back to knowing your customers and knowing who they who they look up to, who they follow, what they're doing, what they're watching. And I do think that influencers are going to either be launching businesses of their own or getting partnerships in different businesses. Like I think I, I can't remember if it was kylie cosmetics or or it was one of those big ones but basically like someone was talking on a podcast something like you think that she went out and she was testing all these samples and she was no. figuring out not a chance it might have even been you actually in, in one of her past conversations <laughs> i can't remember but no it's there's there's people who understand the power of these people and the influence that they have and they're willing to do all the work because they know that that name that that yeah. That um, community that they have,
1: that audience that they have, is is the marketing. My favorite modern example, and I think I, we talked about this one, is Abraham Anser, uh, a golfer from Mexico on the PGA tour, where all of his sponsorships are companies he has uh, an interest in. His tequila brand is on his hat, front and center. He could sell it for you know, hundred thousand dollars for the year for sponsorship money, but it's more beneficial for him to rep every single thing in his bag and on his body that he has a stake in. His golf clubs are something that he has a distributor agreement with in Mexico. Like his clothing is another company he has an interest in, his tequila brand, et cetera. Like the only thing that he doesn't have an interest in might be like a couple different clubs from different manufacturers in there, but like he's done a great job of saying, look, I don't know how long I'm going to be out here. So I'm going to make the most of this and use this to my advantage and find business partners in different areas and things that I care about so that we can use my platform right now in order to help grow these brands so that I have a portfolio when I'm done. I think think this is the transition that a lot of people that are in the influencer game should start thinking about making. I mean, a lot of people have been able to walk away from their normal jobs on YouTube just by posting regularly and making stuff that's like, like exciting and you know, it it takes a bunch of years. It takes, I think on average, like four years for people to make it, but you know, your your camera's right here, right? You walk around with it these days. It's not, it's not like when I went to college when that really wasn't an option. Like there's this whole influencer generation that's coming up has so much power and they don't realize it. Like it's so much power and they don't realize it. And it's, it's shocking and I think we're just starting with what influencers look like but I think that it's not so much influencers as much that's going to be creative and I think you're going to start seeing people that just want to create and they want their lifestyle to become their job and if it just so happens to lead to opportunities in order to branch out they're going to end up jumping on that it's going to be fun to follow
0: 100%. I agree. I, th- I think it's super, super early on in that space. I think TikTok, obviously it's extremely immature and there's so many people. The reach is just insane. And, and I, I don't think creators and, and, not even influencers, just creators that brands want to leverage. They don't understand their value yet. I don't think either. And I think it's, it's still underpriced attention. And I think it was similar to the way Instagram was, in 2015, 2016, when you could go out and you could pay 25 bucks for 50 bucks for a post, when the reach back when the reach the organic reach was oh actually yeah when that was good yeah good.
1: That's the other thing you just hit on organic reach is done. With the exception of TikTok, it's pretty much done, and you know TikTok's going to clamp it down eventually. Just as soon mm-hmm. as they start maturing as an ad platform, they're going to start clamping you know on that too. And then the FTC just passed, uh, just wrote something the other day where they're cracking down on everyone for not disclosing that they are affiliated with people, links and profiles, et cetera, blah blah blah. They wrote up over a hundred companies, and Facebook and Instagram are definitely on that list. Like, there's, I think we're in like a weird place where we don't know. We know we're being marketed to all the time, but we don't know who has an affiliation with whatever and what that that means for them. And it's causing this ambiguity where everyone shifted from Facebook to influencers and they're still a big part of everything. And then what happens next? What's the next evolution of 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 marketing in general with leveraging people? I mean, there was something a product hunt the other day about like a whole bunch of newsletters you know, like Letter hunts, where you could go log on and there's ten thousand newsletters all of a sudden because newsletters have been ridiculously popular over the last couple of years, you know, and for 99 bucks, you you know get that whole list and then go reach out to those people and start brand that way. I mean, distribution is always going to be the world's hardest problem for most brands. And distribution happens easier if you create content that is more shareable, but you're still going to be limited because what we're seeing is, I don't want to say like the entertainment has become less quality but it is less meaningful. There's no messages or stories in a lot of it. It's a lot of funny antidotes to run away from what's going on in everyday life, which makes that really, really difficult to tie in a product. Like, you know, uh, no, I guess yeah. you know, someone some like Kylie Jenner could put on a bunch of like clown makeup, right? From her own makeup, make herself up look like a clown. And she could be like, it's just one of those days. And I'm sure it would go viral. Yeah. I'm like, I guarantee you it'd go viral, but it's stepping out of a comfort zone to make that happen. And us as brands, this is the so when you work with influencers, do you send them a script?
0: Um, it depends. It depends more often. Than, usually, like, and that's and that's where kind of our position on this is. If 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 we're going for if we're going after creators and it's something like we're you know we want entertaining content, a lot of times these creators are way more creative than the brand's yeah. going to be or. Um, a lot of times they they have unique ideas that that are are pretty valuable so a lot of times no but um if it's something where we're looking for let's say it's a platform where we're you know we're looking for ugc and in high volumes then um then sometimes we do yeah and and uh oftentimes the scripted stuff is about 40 percent of it's usable because uh, this is something i wanted to touch on earlier because i think Going back to the whole influencer thing, I think authenticity is, is everything with with Should influencers, be. right? But that's the issue with a lot of a lot of like everyone knows UGC user generate content is so important, right? But yeah. if it's if it's inauthentic, it's in my opinion it has the complete opposite effect that it's intended because people see right through that because everyone every single brand does it every single brand uses it and even if it is authentic, it still, it still needs to resonate with people. And this kind of ties back into the whole understanding what's important to people.
1: Right. I have a great example for you actually on that. I was talking to a founder that we work with and uh, he was reading a review and he was actually tearing up reading a review, but it was on like a zoom call like this and I, I didn't have it recorded and it was so authentic and so awesome. So amazing. And then when I asked him to like, you know, read a read a review again. It was scripted and acted and that authenticity was just stripped away now it still came through as being more or less authentic but there was a stark difference between the raw authenticity of it versus the the staged lighting authenticity of it and my concern about where we're headed with influencers and was oh ugc style videos of like TikTok style videos or you know the way to go and all this shit right i We're just manufacturing something at this point, the odds of catching something in its true moment are so slim to none. And everything feels so scripted and fake right now and don't this is my one one thing about like influencers is that legit you see them out and about and everything is staged they take like seven different pictures sometimes they'll have you know like a a photographer with them right that's that's not real and i think we're starting to hit this backlash it's not real and you have to pay attention to the youngest generations and what they're seeing in this new report about facebook disturbing body images and showing that stuff right like we live in a manufactured simulation right now, and the whole influencer <laughs> like movement is meant to make everyone look really pretty, everyone look really awesome, and then everyone gets rewarded when they're really, really pretty and really awesome and doesn't wear makeup for a day, because we're good people. Does any of that make sense? <laughs> like, it just none of it makes any sense, like at all. Yeah, I'd love to see, I'd love to see brands take more risks where. Uh, they do more for, like, one of the biggest things, I know pandemic killed this, but uh, neighborhood-oriented activities where the brand is located, I'd love to see more installments, more pop-up shops where people were just talking to real people and, you know, sign waivers on the way in to see if you could use their, their footage and whatever and just have genuine conversations with people. Have them ask questions like have them ask about oh what's the materials on this you know what is the best use case for this like I've really been looking for something to solve for this do you have anything that would be a good fit for me that is that's where we need to get back to we need to get back to that that experience of talking to people and actually understanding what's going on because that's 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 where the need of believability is when people are are genuine and we're just not there on any of the social media platforms anymore.
0: I agree. And it's interesting you bring up taking risks as a brand too. This is something I was actually talking with uh, someone with last week is about around creating content and this perception of branding and not wanting to run anything that's off brand, quote unquote. And a lot of times, like, I can't tell you how many times we've put out content for brands or we've, we've created content for brands and, and we're a performance agency, right? So yeah. everything that we do is is built around being able to measure and show performance, right? And, oh, this is non-brand or, you know, it's it's a lot of, and it's just like, at the end of the day, you know, we've, we've run a lot of branding pieces with paid spent, like with spend behind it. And yeah. at the end of the day, people are on these platforms to be entertained, to, yeah. uh, to consume, to, to hear, see stories, to, especially, I mean, you look at TikTok, it's 100% entertainment and brands that are crushing it are going after that, that same style, that entertainment value that, that, um, that is actually going to... Keep keep them top of mind. Keep them keep them relevant. <laughs> yeah, yeah, relevant. And and I think like people people crave a personal, like like seeing the personality behind the brand. I think they crave seeing like that. There's humans behind the brand.
1: But where do personas come from? Whiteboards like this. It's a bunch of marketers in a room. Marketers hate talking to customers. It's the one thing I've learned ages ago is marketers absolutely hate talking to customers. And then when they talk to customers, they ask all the same questions. Oh, what was your, what was the pain point this product solved for you? Oh, what was the job that you were hiring us to, to be done? Why not, what were you most looking forward to like it, when you bought this product and did it deliver? Like that's, yeah. that's all I really wanna know. I wanna know what your feelings were when you made that purchase. Was it regret? Was it anticipation? Was it trepidation? Like, what was the journey that led you up to saying I got to go with that product? Did you yeah. have to see it in person first? Mm-hmm. No one asked that question. Did you have to see this in person before making that purchase? Like did Or or do you remember how many
0: times you saw you saw us before you bought? Exactly. Like, or did you just
1: did you did you buy the first time that you saw an ad? Chance or guess probably not. It, that's highly highly unlikely. And someone that got fed that ad had to have heard about the brand from somewhere beforehand there's there's so many like my my facebook feed not that i post on facebook at all i haven't in years but i use it just for marketing and ads so i see a lot of clothing and a lot of e-commerce brands etc and uh they're all selling similar stuff that all looks the exact same in a nice square up uh earth tone manner and I don't read the captions, I just look at the pictures because that's what most people does. And half of them don't have words written over them other than what that item's called. And I don't care about your black sheep uh, wool thing. It just doesn't it doesn't matter, right? Like there's, and the, the, I love the, the videos on Facebook that go over like the features and they say, oh, you can cuff them here and there's stretch here and all this other stuff. And I'm like, spectacular. So, You're listing features and features and features and you're showing some guy running through the city. I really relate to that right now. Thanks for the earth tones. You would have done better if you just zoomed in on the fabric and showed me like a bright red background. So I stopped and I said, what's that? What's going on? Oh, those are kind of cool. Because I I think what we, we have this concept as advertisers that, that gets away from what we're talking about, which is you need the click. You need the attention. And in order to get the click, you need someone to stop. Anything else you do past that doesn't matter, right? And we tried to make these really polished ads and you've probably seen them all over the place. It's a single product shot on a white background with a nice little smoke in the background and there's like, you know, a nice shadow. I was like, ooh, so Apple-esque. You're not Apple. Like you don't have the reputation that Apple does when they release something really, really nice looking and it's always a render anyway and half of these companies don't do renders for their products. Like renders will save you hours and hours of time if you get the right ones done like right away. So you can put that product any way you want, any lighting you want. No qualms, no questions, no, no, no worries, right? Yeah. It, we've just gotten to this point where everything looks the same. And when you have thousands of thousands of companies that are pitching to the same age groups, the same messaging and the same products, it just loses its impact entirely. I'd love to see like anti-campaigns. I want to see nothing but anti-campaigns. I want to see people that like that uh, fire festival, that little orange block on Instagram crushed it. Why? Cause it stuck out on a feed. Like that's a great, that's a brilliant, brilliant marketing move that they decided to do all at the same time. And it, and it crushed it. 100%.
0: And, and that's another thing that we, we see a lot of too is <clears throat> brands sending us competitor ad libraries and saying, we want to do this. We want Why? to do this. <laughs> I know. Yeah. And I, and I agree. I think like the, the whole point is to stand out, right? The whole point is to catch attention on top of funnel and, and drive people in so you can get these data points, so you can get information, so you can, but without, if you don't get that click, and, and I agree completely with you, by the way, you know, like, like not enough. And I think it's shifting this way. I think more and more people are putting emphasis on website post-click side but so much talk and energy and education is put out around how to structure an ad account how to yeah. you know like like how to structure your audiences are you going single interests? are you using lookalikes are you using 1% 5% 10% how many ad sets how many ads in the ad set it's like all these things like once you're scaling once you're up and once you have something that works and you're scaling yes these things can make a difference but to to
1: try and leverage these things to get traction in the first place is so backwards i I think it's i think it's both i think you need to have a good foundation of how you set stuff up and you have to have a good process in place to do that because when you're doing it allows for more rapid testing and this is a run into multiple times is that i think creative is is great and we should try new things we should try new things but if you don't have a good foundation for a process where you can actually track stuff people get into trouble really really quickly and I mean I've seen I agree completely. atrocious UTMs in my day where I've been like I this is not this is not gonna work like everything needs to be structured in a way where we know what we're doing we have a plan around this and we can kind of follow through like like you were telling me beforehand on one of our other calls like you mark every single thing you make to change to in the ad accounts just so you know exactly what's going on Like there are some people that will on the fly make a change and it's not recorded. And my post on LinkedIn yesterday was like, I said a hundred million dollars is lost a day in like bad media buying. I That's a made up number, but I (laughs) wouldn't doubt it for like a moment. Just from like the habits that I've seen across tons of media buyers over the years where Things just get missed on a regular basis, and it's a manual process of having to figure out like, is everything organized? Are we doing stuff on the right thing? Are we noticing the right things, etc. So, it's I'd love everyone to be like super gun ho and creative, and I want everyone to carve out that twenty percent of their ads that are completely batshit crazy just to see if you get a reaction. Like that's that's kind of what does it. That's out. Those are the the nuggets of gold that you know can make stuff happen. Uh, someone came to me the other day, and they're like. Okay, so we can collect zero-party data. How do we just do a traffic campaign so it's super cheap? Put them on a landing page and then go absolutely balls out. To see what happens we can get a lot of uh, subscriptions and if they match a data pattern and they convert, you know, and we track the conversion over like 28, 30 days, like can we can call that a victory. And I was like, you know what? Let's test it. Let's figure it out. Let's go. Let's go nuts on it though. Let's let's mess up the landing page let's let's mess up the ads let's go absolutely crazy let's just make it stand out so that it's so irresistible someone clicks on it just because it drives that intrigue factor i mean if you i don't know if you've ever done this but this would be really interesting of just running an ad with just like a you know a a box with a question mark on it in a different color on a contrasting background just to see who would click on it
0: i actually thought about i was actually thinking about this like a month ago of because there was a a product that as a brand that sells products that are not a real, I'll be honest, not a great product. Like it's uh, it's just a dime a dozen, you know? Yeah. And we're trying to figure out how, how we can increase click-through rates and, and not a big budget for content creation. So I had to get creative. And I was thinking like, like, how, and, and that's a lot of times too, but uh, so there's two sides. One is like the curiosity, I think will drive a lot of clicks. Right. The curiosity of doing something like that like or having a product out there where you can't yeah. even see what it is or things like that but is that is that traffic quality traffic
1: does it have to hard be hard to say but will you know if you don't test Will you know if you don't test and and uh so okay let's we'll, let's take a brand that we want to run a test on and i don't know i don't know if there's a group of people that run these kind of crazy tests but i would love to start one and and kind of like no no like this is the crazy ass test we ran right we did uh, a pure red background with big text that says i bet you won't click me right (laughs) like that's that's the entire ad i bet you won't click me you probably hate products like ours right and just just run it right just run it to see how high you could jack up a click-through rate because we look at all these kpis and we say oh a good click-through rate is What's good click-through rate that you'd like benchmarking against? 2% would be like what I hear a lot. Okay. Everyone says like 2%. And uh, like one of the, our ad accounts that we play with consistently has like 5 to 6% click-through rate. Absolutely crushing it. Um, great. Ads are working. Sweet. Part one is, what is complete, right? But why is it only 5%? Why is only 1 out of 20 people clicking on this ad? Is there a way that we can get that same target audience? you know, that we're using in that same thing, change one of the ads within that ad set and use the same copy. So if they read the copy, great, we'll keep that as a standard variable. Let's just mess up the creative and just dare people to click on it. And let's see what happens. I mean, we ran one ad that said insert copy here. And then when that was as our As the ad. creative or as, the ad copy? As, as the ad copy. Okay. It was just insert ad copy here, right? but the thing there's there's other stuff that we'd love to do like um you know caption our ad co- leave a comment we'll reach out to you uh you know if if we love your comment we'll reach out to you an offer right something that's engaging right there's we have we've set these rules in place where two percent click through is great and your 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 ad copy needs to be direct and to the point say benefit and your creative needs to have words over it needs to stand out and get that click right and you're CTA has to say, shop now or learn more or experiment more or whatever the hell it is, or don't click on me. We don't know, right? We we mm-hmm. haven't tried all these ones because we follow best practices so often that no nothing stands out anymore. Yeah. And it would be an amazing time to allocate, and this is the difficulty, right? As anyone that's, that's working with a company, you need to provide results as quickly as possible. And companies balk at a lot of this stuff because it's completely out of their wheelhouse and they don't want it to affect brand. brands. That's the issue. Brands that make mistakes, though, tend to stand out a little bit more. And if you're a smaller brand that isn't doing millions a month of organic, your best chance of getting to that place is to go viral for doing something. The best chance of going viral is to try enough different things that stand out or get people to notice you. And yet we continually have white backgrounds and products pictured pictured on them with earth tones and standard CTAs and benefits of that product. It really doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. And I'm really tempted. I'm really tempted with one account. As soon as it hits uh, uh, the standardized baseline that we really, really enjoy with it, every single test should be something crazy for like a solid month we're going to just call it like the crazy month of January and just go crazy with every single test where every single piece of creative, every piece of copy just has to be so outlandish that it is driven just to drive traffic, but to an audience that we know statistically via data and subscriptions is one that converts. So if we were running that to a lookalike audience based on purchasers, that is more likely to convert. If we can statistically say that and they're more likely to subscribe, then, What's stopping us from doing something absolutely totally crazy and then seeing if it works? No one 100%. knows. Hundred percent. But uh, but a lot of
0: brands are, a lot of businesses, a lot of brands are so so much reservation with
1: trying different things. Well, that could tell be... me what you think a brand is versus a business because there's a, there's a switch and I think a lot of small businesses want to think they're brands and they're really not. A brand is something yeah. that's a household name. If you're not a household name you're just a business you haven't gotten to that point yet you shouldn't have branding and 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 guidelines and everything else you can have them that's perfectly fine but if someone wanted it's always funny like you go to a brand website it has brand guidelines and you're like well what if a graffiti artist wanted to you know spray paint your brand and put that on something random somewhere like would that be against brand guidelines would you freak out if someone was a little creative with your thing have you ever run a competition to redo someone's logo on social media as part of an ad campaign?
0: And I mean, there's so many different things that, you know, we could talk about, but on this topic. And and I think I, I I definitely agree with you. I think too many people are, I I actually had a post on LinkedIn about this the other day, people over romanticize with with branding. And I think that you kind of hit it on the head. Are you, are you, are you a brand or are you a business? I, there's so many different definitions of of brand too, right? And people, everyone, people think different things when they think of branding. Some people think a brand is a logo and colors and consistency, brand consistency. But at the end of the day, so many businesses are month to month. So many e-commerce businesses are month to month and it's, that's fine. It's, it's a competitive world and it's, that's what makes it fun. But but I, th- I would love to see more people have some balls and take risks and go out there and and, and try new things try different things because at the end of the day you're right that even the big businesses the massive massive corporations that make mistakes that you know whether it's mistakes or intentional you know the burger kings the whatever else you know other controversies there have been that whether you like it or not that shit gets attention and probably i mean there's there's definitely situations where it
1: hurts but controversy isn't always about this. Uh, wendy's twitter account is amazing yeah it has gained a cult following for just like dropping zingers on a regular basis and it's yep. taken on that sassy attitude of making that happen and that's personality and it makes you relate to the brand do you think they're selling more whatever wendy's chicken sandwiches because of their twitter account maybe not probably not who knows but it gets them exposure on at a rate that's really good and keeps them part of the conversation, and I yeah. think that's the most important thing. I was looking at actually, I was looking at an Instagram account the other day because Slim Jim. No, no. I was, I was, I was looking. I was looking at the Instagram Instagram account for one of our accounts that we work with, and I was looking at a, a large competitor in the space, and I was looking at engagement on the posts. And this one account with like sixteen hundred followers, not a lot at all had half the engagement of another account with nearly 160,000 followers. Quality of audience matters way more than people think. And we got caught up for a long time in follower accounts and and likes and shares and everything else. But when you can talk to an audience that is actually there to listen to you, it's much better than talking to an auditorium full of people where no one gives a shit what you're saying. And thousand percent. I don't know why we're not talking about that more. Like as and, a and community, as like yeah. a marketing community. Well, your reach, your reach, when you have a quality audience too, your reach is going to be so much
0: higher. And that's, so there's the organic side of it. And then there's also uh, advertising paid side where if you have a quality following and don't get me wrong, quantity matters in this case too but if you have a quality following where you have a, a much higher than average engagement rate on your organic post you can test creatives for free yeah with that with that audience right you can test out different things and, and things that re- and then you can push that over to the paid side and uh and have a good idea right if something completely flops on your organic right your followers chances are good are, are some of, some of your best customers or best lookalikes. Um, yeah. and, and if you have a, a high organic reach,
1: then you can test out different things. And, and if it works, boom, you have insights. All right, name me one company who doesn't have customers that think that they can do a better job of marketing than the company. Sorry, what was the question? <laughs> name me one company that doesn't have customers that thinks that they can do a better job of marketing the company.
0: Oh yeah, every, every company would.
1: Yeah, this is like you are we are so we're so arrogant as as marketers that think that we can do a better job of marketing something than the 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 massive pool of people that are part of our our community that have already purchased our product or interested in our product. I mean, you just gave me a great idea for an entire campaign, which is you know do a retargeting campaign to people that have purchased and just say vote for our ads would you watch this ad would this ad have worked for you yeah it doesn't make it it will make us money through awareness and it'll make us money on a couple repeat purchases here and there but how gets you involved too exactly gets people involved and that ties back into the whole community thing have you, know. you ever run something like that? Have you ever run directed at purchasers that says, Hey, you already bought our product, but we're looking to make our ads better. Do you like this? Like, yeah. It's, it's, a, it, and guess what? You can run that to that specific group and you can run it as traffic or whatever is the absolute cheapest. So then you get 10 cents a click or whatever on it. It's super, really inexpensive to run and you're crowdsourcing your ads. Yep. I, and same it, it goes for everything though like same thing goes for for
0: products and and uh, like like new product launches colors you know features like all these things and some brands like don't get me wrong obviously there's a lot of brands that yeah. do do a good job of getting customers involved but a lot of and i know like a lot of businesses business owners would feel that it's you shouldn't be asking your You should be telling your customers what you want. You shouldn't be asking your customers what they want. And I've, I forget where I saw this, but yeah, there was a big debate on LinkedIn over um, this, just this thing. Like, yeah. should you, should you be asking your, your customers for feedback on future products or should you be uh, should you, should you be telling them what
1: they want? This has been a long, this is the Apple notion and this is what apple said that customers don't really know what they want you need to tell them what they what they don't even know what was possible right and this is the whole notion with building software where if you build for what everyone thinks they want you're going to end up with something that no one can use and you have to be the ones that are kind of pushing and changing into where things should go uh and i mean we've faced this multiple times internally with our own company some of the stuff that we're working on and doing in the application of zero party data in connection to like ad spend and stuff like that and subscriptions into literally an ad or or campaign level, the stuff no one's doing. And it's, was anyone gonna ask for that? No, most people didn't even consider that as being a point of intent and that data being a point of intent that can influence the effects of whether or not a campaign's good outside of a a ROAS score which everyone defaults to, right? Because they don't understand the full journey. I don't know what the answer is. I do think that we don't give enough of our communities enough credit to be able to guide direction and provide input that can push us in the right direction. I do think if you create a wall between both, you come off as cold and you don't come off as being a company that actually cares. And it's important today, kind of more than ever with rising competition, that you find ways of keeping your customers past and present engaged with you as a brand. Everyone's going to run out of their lifetime value. Some people buy a product and you only sell a couple of products and then they're like, Oh, this is amazing. I'm just going to buy 10 of it. And then I'm done with my lifetime value. But how do you keep them engaged in the community? Like, like, yeah.
0: Some brands mm-hmm. sell products that are, that don't really justify lifetime value, like, like repeat purchases. Right. But every one of your customers has a big network of people that could, be in the, that could very well be in the market for your product.
1: We always look at this kind of like in a funny way where your word of mouth is obviously your best form of marketing, but it's harder and harder to get these days because people say one of two things. If they paid full price for something, they say, oh, it was expensive, but it was totally worth it. Or uh, I got this at, uh, on, on sale, it was a great deal you hear more of the second one than you hear the first one because every time you're around a group of friends you're talking to friends and you like something go oh that's really cool and oh i got it on sale it was a sweet deal you never hear it was expensive as shit but it was totally worth it (laughs) because you know that's there's there's a certain there's a certain thing where everyone's like what is it there's a there's this luxury robe and uh and uh it was purchased in this household and it was an expensive row but there was like a discount to refer our friends so as soon as we saw our other friends like the discount got passed around and got passed around a second time back here so there was another discount on the road because it's expensive as shit but the discount made it a little bit better a little not a lot better but like a little bit better mm-hmm. but good enough to get two but i think that might be the end like you see the value over time depreciate to where something right. doesn't hold up, et cetera. Right. You're wearing Patagonia stuff. They last forever. You wear something from Costco and and it's good for like the first two years, but they, they it's not built in the same, same manner to last. Um, There's a quote the other day that said, buy the most expensive thing that you can have in terms of clothes because they will last you the longest because they spend more on materials for the most part. And that's the, absolutely been like a true thing for for a lot of materials. A lot of things that are built with quality tend to last longer and and you can buy something cheap and buy 10 of them or you can buy one and it'll last longer than the 10 that you run through. Um, but everyone wants a deal. Like everyone literally is looking for a deal we're hooked. We're hooked. We've just been (laughs) it's this this cycle of sale, 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 offer, 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 bundle, bundle, bundle and all, all of the our entire industry has been pushing the same playbook for so long that all brands don't know how to do it. I'm anti-discount. I'm all about discount on the, on the for signing up and giving me data. That's a fair trade to me. You can have a discount that lasts a couple of times. You can use your discount three times. I don't even care. As long as you're providing data and you're allowing me to enrich my outbound prospects to find more people like you and I can leverage your data in six different ways, Take your discount. Well worth it. More than Mm -hmm. 50% of people check out without using one anyway. They're just not into it, right? So the best you can do is be comfortable with at least trading a discount for something more than just an email or a phone number you're guessing. That's been my whole like crusade on this is you're just giving away for something that's effectively worthless and doesn't tell you how to build an audience around that or for that or the value of that subscription. That's that's silly. For sure. Yeah, man. What's uh, what's the most interesting
0: thing that you've found out, or or the most interesting insights you've seen since working in Formturo, since you launched Formturo? When first
1: of all, when did you guys officially go live? We launched officially, uh, publicly, last April is when we launched our website, and then uh, we were already working with people before that, and we'd been working on the program and testing it. We were in stealth for like about a year before that and trying to get everything together. Um, It was a tough call because the whole build in public movement was really doing well and we really wanted to build in public and we wanted to launch way earlier than that, but ended up not being able to. Um, And then our kind of platform evolved from what we thought was gonna be a good fit, like every product does, into what actually ended up being a good fit. We started out originally and we thought our problem was the zero party data and personalization and then what we quickly found out is that requires a shit ton of work and effort and hours from everyone, like we were saying earlier in this condo. So we've transitioned into more data for ads and being like ad intelligence and ad optimization and ad media buying optimization based on zero party data with intent. Um, which has been an interesting journey because no one in our space integrates that data and all the algorithms that we have are included kind of in our provisional patent and and our patent pending about how we not only capture, but use that data in our our broader reporting scope. So we're trying to position ourselves as kind of like the the BI space for e-com and running ads, because they're not going away, they're getting more expensive and no one, and everyone right now is using the same old CPMs from different sources. Maybe you're combining them, Google Ads, Supermetrics, whatever, Google Analytics, Supermetrics, Facebook, them all together and see what's up but we're that magical portion that tells you quantitatively and and qualitatively like which ads are doing the best so we see huge opportunities and gains to be had and people that can shift towards bringing in a direct data set from their actual customers and people that are interacting with their website in order to build out entire strategies around that
0: amazing amazing well um yeah, I mean, I am i haven't worked with you guys yet. I'm looking forward to it um, because obviously it's, uh, you know, what everything that, that you cover this has been a great conversation. And I think you're, you're banging on when you say that this is is where everything's going to. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, I definitely think that you guys have an amazing product. You've given me the walkthrough. And, uh, it's pretty crazy what you guys are working on. It's, uh, I can't imagine how many hours have gone into, to building and refining it. Um, but, uh,
1: but obviously it's, uh, it's a lot of work. <laughs> it's, 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 always a journey because specifically where we're at and like where we're at and where and we made a mistake and I'll fully admit this, and this can be shared with everyone. We made a mistake where we came in from our perspective of having been there, done that, and knowing what the perfect setup was gonna be for most companies and all the, the the pitfalls that most e-commerce companies run into. Um, and we we structured everything around how could we, re- we replace everything, like start to finish. How do you do unique coupon codes? How do you do multi-use unique coupon codes? How do you do data collection? How do you wrap that data collection into stuff? How do you combine that into email and stuff like that? And that was a mistake. It was straight up a mistake. Um, we underestimated where the market was and what was capable of in order to throw all those things together. And you guys run complete front end for, for brands on that. And even that would be like, it's a, lot to, it's a lot to bite off, it's a lot to chew all at once in order to make a transition happen like that because it is a strategy swap. Um, so we've refined, and we can talk about this later after this call about like where, where real value comes and how value can be absorbed by brands by making as little tweaks as possible to their current setup. And that took us, admittedly, it's something that I that I that I missed that I kept seeing with brands as we were as we were onboarding, getting them started. So most people just don't have the resources to do everything perfect the first time. But there are steps that brands can start taking immediately by just swapping out like an existing one sign-up form and saying, we're just gonna swap it out just use the same coupon codes. We're not gonna to have to change any of our email flows. We're just gonna give it a try and see what data comes in. And then we can start building a strategy around that data once the data comes in. And I think we were very ambitious as we were building with all of our reports and how everything was tied in and all the insights that were there. But if you can't get past that first hur- hurdle of introducing people to what intent-based 0 party data can do and what that looks like on the inside, you run into the situation where everyone is very, very scared to jump in because number one, like we've covered super intensive, once you have it to use it on email SMS and everything else. And part of our yeah. pivot was moving straight to, well, you don't have to do anything. You just change the sign-up form. We'll take all the data and we'll rank it for you and tell you which ads are doing great. Right? You're spending money on those anyway. Let's save some money and pick out some winners in ways that maybe you would have missed before. And that was a, a key moment for us in uh, to understand where you have to go the path of least resistance to to become like a mainstay within an org stack or a technology stack and what's the quickest way that we can provide value to people turned out not to be let's redo everything but instead let's focus on the one thing that we have an advantage over everyone else on doing stuff that no one else is even considering doing and how do we make it really easy for brands uh, and agencies to partner up with us and and show show value in a way where it's minimal effort on all sides as quickly as possible
0: yeah i mean i love that and obviously it's uh i mean i think that it it's not just on the software side it goes for everything man it's you know what we think is going to to work how we envision things you know even offers that we've launched as an agency in the past, um, you know, it's, it's oftentimes a lot different than, than how things go,
1: but that ability to, to, to pivot is essential. Yeah. It's there's a lot of really talented people out there that think they can do a lot of really great stuff. And some of them are super, super talented and they understand how everything works and it's great. But your offer to some people might include everything. And it might include three services that they never even consider like, if they've never run landing pages before, they're like, why, why am I going to hire you for landing? Oh, it's part of this? I didn't know how much emphasis is on this, right? Like, yeah. that's some of the stuff that in e-com, there's the the big ones always grab you, right? Email marketing always grabs you. Paid ads always grabs you. Like, CRO is kind of like the the dog that hangs out in the pound, right? You know, once <laughs> yeah. you brought out and, like, throwing a ball every once in a while just to see what happened, right? But... It's not one or the other. It's everything, and unless all these parts work together and have like good baseline sets and processes built into them, scaling brands is going to become harder and harder to do because you just can't throw money at problems anymore.
0: Yep, hundred percent, hundred percent. It all, it's all, uh, it all ties in together, and it's. And that's the thing, is that I think even when things are going good, reminding yourself how much better things could be and understanding oh, yeah. that that you know
1: Yeah, we, we got a five percent conversion rate. Sweet. But 95% of people didn't convert. Okay. <laughs>
0: it's two sides of the coin.
1: Yeah, like it that's this is one of the biggest running jokes in e com is everyone's like all the numbers that people celebrate in e com are really small numbers. Mm-hmm. They're really, really small numbers. Oh, yep. my two percent conversion rate's awesome. My my twenty now or, it's, or it's
0: it's it's industry standard, so I'm good.
1: Oh yeah. My twenty five percent open rate? Oh, that's spectacular. My four percent click through rate, oh I'm killing it. Mm-hmm. Like compared to who? Yeah. Who's best in the breed and best in the business? Because benchmarks are based on the averages. Like yep. should you always be comparing yourself to the best in the business? Probably. You think that like certain industries and certain businesses are probably getting higher open rates? Yeah, most likely, <laughs> right? Are open rates going to vary by the the interest provided to you by the people? Yeah, they do. Like if someone says that they're interested in something and it's not something that's your core and you have like a, a little sub on it, like they're not going to open all your stuff unless it's tailored to them. Yeah. Uh, that, was, that was the biggest comical thing. Uh, I don't know. I'll go back to this, this iOS 15 thing where everyone's like, "Oh, you you just you just gotta know who your customer is and send them more relevant uh, information." Shouldn't you have been doing that in the first place? Like, it, should be, was, it should have been the standard. Uh, iOS 14. Oh, we just need more creatives. You know, we just need way more creatives, and we need to figure out, you know, what resonates. Shouldn't you have been doing that in the first place? Maybe it's not more yeah. creatives. Maybe it's just better creatives. I think yep. that what we've run into, uh, yourself excluded, is there's, there's this marketing cohort of people that are pushing the same agendas, and they all come out from the large players in the space. And they're usually tool oriented. Uh, this whole SMS push is largely from companies that are backing SMS and have decided to spend a lot of marketing dollars on that. This whole push, uh, for, like email marketing was prior, when they spent a lot of money baking in the idea that 30% of your revenue has to come from email, right? Like we, we focus in on these benchmarks and they, they, they don't, they don't necessarily relate to anything yet. The only people pushing narratives within this industry are really the big companies that are being parroted by some of the more well-known agencies through partnerships with those companies we have created this bubble where outside opinion doesn't really fit in because the agencies depend on the large companies support in order to do events and co-marketing and expand to their, their customer base. And the companies only have one goal, which is to build their bottom line. So if it doesn't fit into their narrative, they don't want to discuss it or talk about it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Well, hundred percent. And that's, you know, that's why it's nice to do these, like these types of, of, uh, Conver- have these types of conversations too, um, because you know I, I completely agree. I think a lot of a lot of it is noise, um, and at the end of the day, I, I think a lot of people um, focus on these KPIs that don't really necessarily lead to the most profit at the end of the day. Which is yeah. what? Why is that not the only goal? Um, profit and sustainability, like. Yeah. Uh, in my, that's the way that we look at things is like, and in, in, in I was ha- having a conversation with a brand today, um, about, and they're, they're relatively small brand. Um, and, and we had to tell them probably it wasn't a good fit. And it's like, you need to be looking at, at how much profit you can make at the end of the day. And that includes our fees that includes advertising, that includes all all the other vendors' fees, that includes all the apps that you're using. you need to look at you need to look at all the things that you're spending money on and try and understand what, what ROI is that is that generating for you and and do more of what's working. So, and
1: so I've got a question for you on that. Because you're touching on something that I think is really, really important, which is most agencies don't want to touch certain brands because there's not enough data and there's not enough stuff in the account in order to make judgment calls to say this is possible, right? Uh, Your profit margins, whatever it is. Um, And you can exclude this from overall recording if you want or leave it in, I don't care. What we're looking at doing is how useful would like a month's worth of zero party data directly from subscribers be to you coming into an account that the numbers didn't look okay, but there was enough data to understand some trends in there. And you could make like a weighted decision that says, okay, like here's a couple tips and trips that you should look at based on your data. I don't think it's the right engagement for us right now. However, you've got enough data to make stuff move. We can probably do something in like two months from now let's stay in touch.
0: Yeah. I think, I think it would be, it could be very beneficial because I think a lot of, a lot of the brands that are, we talked to that are either just starting to get some traction or have been around for a bit, but haven't really got a good foothold in scale. Um, they, they know themselves that they're not, they're missing a lot, right. They're missing a lot and yeah. they don't have, a, they don't have a lot of information. And I, and I think, you know, I would definitely love to dive into some of this, some of this data a little further and, and look at it. And, and, you know, I definitely think it's something that could be extremely beneficial. And, and at least even if, even if it's not, okay, we have this data. Now it makes sense. Cause we know we can put a good strategy together. Maybe it's okay. Maybe, you know, two, three months down the road, it'll make sense. Here's what you should do in crafting a strategy for them to get them to a point where it makes sense. Yeah. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, because what we're seeing, it usually takes about a month of, of data, depending on how much they're spending and what their traffic is. But after a month of data, we can see clear trends about what direction to move in for creative, what direction to move in for, for email marketing and stuff like that. And, and where, where the customers are, are, are fitting in, right? Like one of our, one of our uh, companies we work with is a, a, like a sorted beverage company. Uh, where it's, it's like mixed packs of beer and stuff like that so we're asking questions and surprisingly that questions that are multi-answer on on the forums which we thought was not going to work out too well but turns out people are just into providing data to customize stuff which has been great to see but it became very very clear very quickly that the customers loved beer they cared about flavor and they wanted to use it for gifting and friday nights in And those insights are huge. Well, that suggestion to them was great. You have a newsletter that goes out every Tuesday that spots like different beer brand that you're featuring in your special pack of the week or whatever. And you explain the flavor notes of it in detail. And then you say, purchase yours now while supplies last because you're makes a perfect gift. It's, it's the entire marketing strategy just unveiled itself within, you know, five minutes of looking at data that was collected over a month and I would love, like, that's, that's a, that was like a powerful aha moment for me. of, of And it, this happens with every single company where we, we, we see these aha moments of literally your marketing plan just unroll just put this in front of a professional that knows what they're doing and they're going to get all the content created for you and they'll be able to bucket it. We'll swap out blocks here and there. You can run this to three different segments and you should be absolutely set. We're going to rinse and repeat and then go use all this information and start building an ad campaign around it. And that that was the other thing that came in. If people cared about beer and they cared about flavor and variety as like their top options, your ad is really simple. It's like a, a six pack of just green bottles and it says boring on it. And then it says not boring and it shows a variety pack of different, you know, different cans that are all mixed in this pack all for you all in one. That's an easy ad that you can film in literally 20 minutes. Super quick cut shots, a couple different background colors, and you're you're done. That's enough to grab attention and get a click. Where everyone goes, oh, am I really gonna go to the storm by another six-pack of the same beer? Like that, there's another option. What's my other option, right? Like, yeah. We see we see these things, and, and this is why I brought this up because you've talked to enough brands at this point. I've talked to enough brands at this point where there just isn't enough to action a real sensible decision on stuff and there is a lot of it is it's guessing and it's based on numbers and spreadsheets that say does do they have enough profit margin is the is the market even possible how many audiences do we have to test until we find a winner here like you know do they have a season of pixel for us to go broad like there's we go through the same checklist with everyone and i think we're missing out on this step that's kind of like well why don't we just swap out what you currently have? Let's collect some data and then let's review it in a month and, and we'll have a strategy for you that we think we should consider trying.
0: Like, mm. And that's, how much traffic. How much traffic would would you think would need to be driven over the course of a month? I mean, I know it's obviously kind of an open-ended question, but and there's no can, right answer but.
1: You can cheat. And I do and this goes back to our question uh, our, our conversation about there are no rules right? Like you can absolutely cheat. If you wanted to, you could do something absolutely stupid that says, you know, 80% off, uh, you, you know, your first purchase and right, whatever, right? And everyone's like, yeah, I want that. Okay. I came here. I got driven by some ad that got my attention to get me here. Let me fill out this information. I'll put in all this information. If I make a purchase, great. If I don't, you break even, you might lose some money, but your tax is going to go down too, because more people are going to purchase. It's always like that lever game of like weighing stuff you run it to a landing page and you only run it to a certain audience that you think is going to be a good audience. You collect all that feedback and you're maximizing. You could do this for traffic use for whatever, right? You could negate your cost and use Facebook ads as market research, which I am a huge fan of because no one does it Mm -hmm. well, but use Facebook or use whatever you want as market research. Get people to an offer that's so irresistible that they're providing you data to unlock it. And all of a sudden, you know it came from the same audience and you can change that offer anytime you want. So if you're hedging against the idea of collecting data, I'd say like 250 subscriptions and a thousand data points for per sign up yep. is plenty of data to give you a baseline understanding of the types of people that those ads are driving. It really isn't a lot of isn't a lot of traffic. And what what are you guys seeing for like average opt in or average like completion of one of these? Completions uh, completions 95 percent, 90 to 95 percent.
0: And of all qual- traffic,
1: how many people would? Well, it's, a, it, it's a quality of audience thing, right? right. So it's, it's where the audience is being driven from, what audience that you're taking and pushing to it, and where that offer comes out. So, like in a complicated setup, uh, a non testing setup, right? Like a full implementation setup, we'd have multiple pop ups at different places. Like a landing page might have an embed on the higher end, it might have a, a, a you know, slide out at 90% scroll to grab someone right before they decide to leave or make another, you know, go to another page. Product yep. page might have a separate one that slides out on, so that on like desktop, it doesn't block everything, right? Um, home page, we, we actually love a full page for a home page because it makes people have to read the message before hitting the X in the top of the phone because their phones are so big now, right? So it's that little yep. couple, couple extra seconds of seeing that message. But I think like a standard opt-in for like a good quality audience should be somewhere between five and 10%. Like, I think that's, that's like where everyone should target for. You're not, but like I said, only 50% of people opt in and purchase. The other 50% are just purchasing. So don't worry about an opt-in rate as much as like worry about that your journey was right and leverage the data that you can collect.
0: And go back to what you're saying too, it's live data collection. So even if someone doesn't go through and, and yeah, so So what happens if someone puts these like makes your selections on these data points, right? Because for anyone who doesn't know who's listening, these are kind of multi-step surveys. And, uh, and then at the end, they put in their email for a discount. So um, always,
1: we say always lead with the email if you're doing data collection.
0: Okay, so you guys do it, right.
1: You can do it either way, but there's a reason yeah. why we say always lead with the email because we're looking for that intent data, not that lagging data. And there's a bunch of conversations going on from some of our friends in the industry. They're like, oh, you need to be conversational. You need to start with a question. Then people will opt into it, right? Uh, those aren't true intent people. Those are people that are still part of a discovery period. And we've seen micro opt-in. I actually have a huge guide that I'm going to drop off, drop suit on this. It's like 5,000 words long plus that goes over everything. It's like a call it like a, a undergrad level course on understanding zero-party data in multi-step forms um it's not intent if you're just asking questions in like a, in a quiz and a survey like it just isn't if you start with an email and i provide an email and i say yeah send me emails right mm-hmm. i'm already in i've decided to make that move how far i get if I was just looking for a discount, right, and I wasn't just, and I was sure, I might drop off. Or I might drop off three questions in, right? That's 5% right. of the people that end up doing that. 99.96% of people that provide an email provide at least one data point. That's stupid. That's literally just about everyone is, like, willing to go through the journey, answer some questions honestly, and, and you know, personalize that journey. And that's the thing. Your second step could say, I'd like to personalize our communications with you. No one asks this. Like, you know, just just ask and tell people yeah. what you're gonna use it for. Most people are really comfortable with opting in and stuff when they know what they're gonna use it for. So it, this is the, if I had to pick and I know this was one of uh, your pre-questions, like biggest opportunities for econ brands and zero party data, I don't think there are any. I don't think there's anything that's gonna stack up that isn't related to zero party data. I'd say partnerships are the biggest opportunity that econ brands are not doing but you can get a partnership with a brand that has an email list five times your size if you come with an email list of data. There's just so much leverage behind understanding who your customers are with like actual clean data that I wouldn't spend time on anything else. And that's me being super biased. This this is me also like having consulted and worked with go-to-market companies and, and them not doing it. And then chasing down like a fraction of that data and seeing like 7% of the people that signed up provided us data versus a company that, you know, ran forms for a month and all of a sudden their marketing plans completely built out. It's, it's just night and day. One is easier for me to consult on the other one. I just have my hands like this. Well, like, what did people say on the survey? Oh, you didn't use multiple choice you use long form. So <laughs> I have to parse this together and then rank it into a category and decide whether or not like we, We need to consider Facebook ads as being customer research centers and we should be really creative with how we bring people in and we should rank that ad that's just a red square versus that ad that's real creative and see which one converts more. See -hmm. what the data profile looks like for those people. Does it differ? Or are they answering the questions the exact same way? If they're answering the questions the exact same way, your lead content didn't matter. It's so well, it's just to get a click. So it doesn't really matter, right? Yeah. Like we yep. should be focusing on using and leveraging paid as an easy way to get market research so that we can then take that market research and then decide what we want to do with it and what directions we want to move with it. Because there are too, there are too many brands that are just guessing. Just too Couldn't much agree more. Couldn't agree more.
0: I think, uh, I think that's an excellent
1: place to
0: wrap this up. I got to run to jump on a performance review call. Um, but John, thank you so much for, uh, for doing this. Really appreciate it. Tons, of, tons of insights, tons of experience. And uh, for anyone who's looking to leverage zero-party data to grow their business, get insights, get a clear picture of what they should do to tailor a specific marketing strategy, marketing campaigns around uh, real insights, not guesswork. What should they do, John?
1: Formtoro.com, F-O-R-M-T-O-R-O. And uh, there's a nice little spot on the homepage that lets you book a strategy session with me. We can go chat that for a half hour.
0: Amazing. Do it up, people. All right. Thank you so much, Jonathan. I really appreciate it. And uh, looking forward to chatting with you again. Thank you.